Oh, welcome in to another edition of Crossed Up, a Phillies podcast. We've got news. We told you we would check in with you guys anytime that we have breaking Phillies news. And uh, Bob Wankel at BW Crossing Broad and Anthony Sanfilippo at Ant San Philly. We're here to talk about Andrew McCutcheon, the newest Philadelphia Philly, signing a three-year deal worth $50 million plus a club option. Uh, he's not Bryce Harper, uh, but he is probably going to be the Phillies' right fielder next year. And I think Bob and I are pretty much in agreement. And while I'll throw it to Bob right away. I think we're pretty much in agreement right off the bat that this is not a bad signing. This is actually a pretty good signing for the Phillies, even though McCutcheon has, is not the player he was in 2013 when he was uh, National League MVP or 2014 when he actually had a better year and didn't win the MVP. Um, he's not that player anymore, but he's still a really good player, uh, even though he's 32 years old and this contract is not ridiculous and will fit nicely uh, in this lineup with this with this organization. Yeah, uh, I'm in absolute agreement with you. Uh, my initial reaction when I saw the news this afternoon was that, okay, you know, it, it's not Bryce Harper. That's the thing, you know. And yeah. I, I wrote a story this afternoon on the on the website, and basically, I had said I think people are less concerned with what Andrew McCutcheon is going to bring to the table in 2019, and they're more concerned with whether or not this is going to preclude the Phillies from signing Bryce Harper. And you know, that's a little bit unfortunate. I, I like this move. I think that this is a solid move that can really help a team um, a, as it's building in trying to become competitive, trying to bridge the gap between the 80-win season and the 90-win season. I think that this is a winning piece. Um, Andrew McCutcheon still has elite on-base uh, ability, uh, 368 on-base percentage last year. He drew 95 walks, which I know that everybody in Philadelphia is going to be very excited about. <laughs> uh, you know, he's not a guy that's going to hit 30 home runs anymore. He's not uh, the 2013 National League MVP. He doesn't have the same skill set, uh, but you're still talking about a guy that had 50 extra base hits last season. Um, still hit 255. I believe he had 17 more hits than Carlos Santana, just to give some people a little perspective on that front. Um, really, though, he's a. I don't want to use words like he's a savvy veteran hitter. Like I don't. I don't want to diminish or I don't want to. I guess, undersell what he is. I mean, the guy can still swing the bat a little bit, uh, but he really, what has made him good in more recent years, especially last season, uh, really is the plate discipline. I I, I believe he had uh, a 19.4% um, out-of-zone swing percentage last year, which, uh, as we talked about uh, before the show, uh, trailed only Joey Votto. So you're talking about a guy that's very, very selective, and when he gets pitches to hit, especially fastballs, especially sinkers, he still does a lot of damage with them. So I look at this move, and I think he's going to bring decent defense uh, to the table out in right field. He's no longer an elite center fielder or anything along those lines, but um, i, I got to tell you, I'm, I'm pretty pleased with the move overall, and, and we'll see what it means for Harper. Yeah, I'm. Uh, yeah, I know. We'll see what it means for Harper. I, I don't. I don't think it means anything good for Harper. I don't think Harper's coming here at this point. Although there are a couple people who are still reporting that the Phillies are in on that. Um, but I tend to trust. Yeah, we've the talked a lot about how Jim Salisbury sort of. Uh, intimated yeah. that the focus has always been on Manny Machado here, and, and there's some stuff on him, and we'll get to that in a little bit. But yeah. uh, Scott Lauber came out, and he said, you know, it doesn't mean that the Phillies are done in the outfield. Uh, you know, it doesn't necessarily impact Odubel Herrera. I know that his name could be potentially kicked around in some trade deals now. Um, it could They could deal Nick Williams, he says, or Platoon Williams, McCutcheon in left field and sign Harper to play right. So he still seems to think that it's a possibility. Ken Rosenthal came out earlier um, on Tuesday afternoon and, and kind of said the same thing, that Harper's still in play. But, you know, 
I, I don't expect it at this point. I will say that. I, I'll, uh, here's why I don't think Harper's in play. And we, we've discussed this. This is not anything earth-shattering on our podcast here. We've talked about it. Baseball, and we actually talked about it in our little Slack chat on Crossing Broad um, you know, with all of the uh, internal um, conversations that we've had. Um, when it comes to baseball, it's funny. Like, these national guys are more, I find them to be a little bit more rumor-mongerish than actually newsbreakers. I mean, they do break some news, but they tend to really play into the rumor aspect. Whereas if you look in other sports, like when Woj puts something out, it's happening, right? I mean, Woj is not speculating a lot. He's pretty much breaking stories um, and, and for the NBA. And then, uh, you know, Schefter for the NFL. And uh, in hockey, it's Darren Drager. Um, you know, you got guys like that who are going to, when they put something out, it's, it's really informed and it, you know, most of the time does come to fruition. I think in baseball, you get a lot less of that. They're a lot more into the rumor. And I think the reason is, is a lot of these national guys, especially at a GM's meeting like this, are really talking to the agents. And so the agents are going to f- be feeding you. Um, I've been there. I've been in, in these situations in, uh, with the NHL. The agents will tell you, oh, so-and-so, these, this many teams is, are talking to my client, or you know, here's the offers that we're hearing, blah, blah, blah. And they really do it to really, you know, sometimes they're honest with you, but sometimes they're doing it to kind of, you know, play the media a little bit to try and, you know, bolster the uh, interest in their, ca- in their client. And I think a lot of what's happening um, around uh, Bryce Harper and knowing Boris and the way he, that he is, is that he is really going to, t- to keep the Phillies' name involved because he knows the Phillies have more money than any other team to throw out there. So if, if – even yeah, Scott Boris needs Scott Boris needs, needs the Phillies. The Phillies. Yeah, yeah I mean, he because he's either going to get the most money from the Phillies or he's right. going to drive up the price from a competitor. I mean, right. It, so exactly. Yeah. So when you when you see national reporters saying Phillies are still in on Harper, Phillies are still still in on Harper, I'm telling you that that's coming from Scott Boris and not coming from the Phillies. Would it okay? do the Phillies any service at this point though to just say if they're not in on Harper? I mean, would it do them really any damage to say we're not in on them? So no, I don't. Th- I don't think it would. I think it's better that they don't, um, because I also think there is a benefit for the Phillies in a lot of ways to to make it seem like that they might still even. Oh my God, they, the Phillies have got. They, they went out and got McCutcheon and they got Segura. They're still working on Machado and Harper. Geez, if you're another free agent and you know the Phillies are doing all this, yeah, maybe that's more attractive, you know, or. It could play the other way. I mean, we've talked about that last episode, where it could be that the Phillies are in on so many people that ever that you could sit there and say, "Well, uh, they can't be in on that many people. What, what really is this team doing? Who knows? They're, they're directionless, and you don't want to go to the Phillies." But I think that the fact that they've they've actually now made a couple of moves by trading for Segura and signing McCutcheon, I think you're starting to see that the Phillies are, you know, they're not sitting there and just sitting back on their hands or, or they're not you know putting out something that's not true that they're interested in, in signing big name players so I think that that it, it actually they've kind of shifted the narrative a little bit back in their favor um, that doesn't mean that I think that they're going to get either well, well this is Harper the danger Machado, though, right yeah this is the danger we're eight minutes into this show or you know seven minutes into this show and I, I threw out a little yeah I like Andrew McCutcheon here's a stat line and now we're talking about Bryce Harper I mean it's still Bryce Harper Manny Machado well, that's sure. the focus and that's going to be the fans focus that's going to be the local and national media focus right the thing that I, I 
think I probably mentioned last week, and I fired off a tweet last night to this effect. It basically said, I still feel like that the Phillies are sort of backed into a little bit of a corner. Andrew McCutcheon's a nice player. Gene Segura is a nice player. Uh, I'm on board with these moves, but if you don't go out after years and years and years of saying, we're going to make that big splash, and you got the owner coming out and making these strong statements, and then you had his kid. And I don't know if you saw that or uh, not, tweet but from John Powers. Powers Middleton. Yeah, yep. Powers. He came out the other day, and you know he retweeted it and said, like, you know, good start. We got a few more splashes to make or whatever the hell he said. And, I mean, the bottom line is – With the, with the, the champagne uh, yeah, emoji? Yeah, champagne emoji. I mean, come on. It's a champagne <laughs> emoji. That, to me, indicates that they're signing one of these guys, damn it. No, but I mean, in all seriousness, you have these guys and, and the way that they've sort of presented themselves, like, we're going to come out and we're going to swing it. You know, like, that's what they've been saying. It, maybe not Matt Klentak, but at the ownership level, the Phillies have done nothing to make anybody believe that they weren't going all in on one of these guys. And if they don't get one of them, I just wonder what that's going to do. Like, are people going to show up at the gate come the end of March to see Gene Segura and uh, the second year of Scott Kingery and to see Nick Pavetta run it back and another year of Michael Franco or Cesar Hernandez with a, a healed foot or Odubel Herrera again. That's my thing. Like, I know that the gate isn't the well, it's the fiscal bottom line for the Phillies, but I know that there's enough money to go around there, and I know that that organization has made so much money that it may not really matter between if they draw 25 to 29,000 people, but if they really want to take back this city and become a priority again in the sports realm of Philadelphia, like it's time to go. And while Andrew McCutcheon's a nice player, that's not turning the tide back in their favor. So I do wonder what the PR fallout of not signing Machado or Harper would be. Well, that's I, I think that there would be a bad fallout. In all honesty, Bob, and and you know that's why I, it's interesting to me that they're putting. I from what it sounds like to me, um, and I trust Salisbury more than I trust anybody else when it comes to this team. Um, it sounds to me that they're putting all their eggs in Machado's basket. Like I think that they really believe that they can convince him to come here and be a third baseman um, and sign him to some ridiculous contract. I mean, Machado's uh it's been reported that he's going to visit four teams um that are interested in him. I got to assume the Phillies are one of those four. I can't imagine Yeah, that Jim not. Salisbury actually checked in uh very late this afternoon and he did say that the Phillies will be one of those teams. Yeah, I so so I mean, I think that they're that's that's going to be their push. That's going to be their, you know, if they get one of the two, then they look at it as a success because, all right, we maybe we didn't get Bryce Harper, but we got Andrew McCutcheon and we got Gene Segura and we got whatever other uh, outfielder. I still think that they're going to get, they're going to end up with Michael Brantley too, which would be another nice player, assuming he can stay healthy, um, or they might get another starting pitcher via a trade. I, I think that there are other things that the Phillies are going to do, and I think that the, you can sell that to the fan base and say, listen. We got one of the stars, and we brought in a former MVP, and we brought in this, you know, really good hitting shortstop, and we brought in this other really good hitting outfielder, and we added to the starting rotation, and the bullpen's better. So, like, you can you can play that, you know, all those things adding up behind Machado and say, now you sh this is why you should be coming to see the Phillies play. But if you don't get either one of them, if you don't get Machado, and you don't get Harper, and this is, like, the biggest name that you sign or trade for – in the offseason, even if you add eight, nine players in this offseason, and even if seven of six or seven of those guys are pretty good, um, I don't think it, it does enough to, to 
to move the needle for the fans to attend games at Citizens Bank Park. Yeah, we're in full agreement there. Um, I guess before we get too far away from it, I know that we already have just a couple quick things on McCutcheon. Um, you know, I wrote a, a little bit of a, a little deeper dive on him and really kind of looked at what he did last year. And there are some things that I did like about him specifically. You know, I, I looked at the name Andrew McCutcheon. I said, I know he had an okay year in 2018, but you're talking about a guy with a big time name, a big reputation. He's into his, he'll be in the middle of his 30s now. This is such a, a Phillies move, kind of getting a guy four or five years too late. And and granted, he won't be that MVP type of player, but there are some things that I did find to be very, very positive about his game. And so just to, before we move on, he produced a 946 OPS against four-seam fastballs last season and a 997 OPS against sinkers, which I find to be encouraging because what do you talk about as guys get older? They lose bat speed a little bit, right? Right, right. And, you know, the power numbers aren't there. He's certainly not the player that he was in his mid-20s, and I think we all understand that. But at the same time, uh, he's had a good deal of success finding pitches in the strike zone, fastballs, sinker types that are elevated, and he's done good work with them. And he, he's done good work with them as recently as last season. And that's always kind of been his thing. He's always been a very good fastball hitter, an elite fastball hitter. To see those numbers, though, that high, I, I kind of it raised my eyebrow a little bit. I said, damn, like that's, that's pretty good. I sort of expected those numbers to be in the low 800s, you know, in terms of OPS. But when I see mid-900s, upper 900s, I go, damn, he's still swinging it. Now, the problem last year was against the slider. He had a 453 OPS, which was by far like 130% or 130 points below uh, his career average against the slider. He wasn't great against the changeup, mid-600s. And the curveball was decent. He was like in the upper 700s. So, it looks to me like, though the bat speed isn't going to be the same as it was, it, that that specifically I found to be encouraging along with the selectivity. The 13.9% walk rate he had last year was the second best of his career. So the, there are encouraging things that I see when you go a little bit deeper into the statistics that, that make me feel better than, than really I think what my initial reaction was when I saw the announcement. Yeah, I, I, I kind of agree with you. And it, you know... It, I, I was a little, I was a little bummed that the batting average went down a little bit, but everybody's batting average is going down, right? I mean that that's just that's baseball just in general. Um, I mean if you look at, I like to look at a two-year uh, span because obviously you know a guy can have a bad year, you know they happen. So I like to look at a two-year span, and I think that if you include 2017, uh, it's even a little bit more encouraging. Um, again, uh, that was his age 30 season. Um, and he had a he had some power there, and he was playing um, in uh, in Pittsburgh, which is not a great ballpark for home runs, but it's freaking better than San Francisco. That's <laughs> that's for sure. I mean, San Francisco, you can't you can't hit a home run unless you know unless you're. I mean, lefties have a better chance at hitting home runs there, but I mean, right-handers, it's it's a it, it's a it's a you know it's cavernous for for a right-hander in, in San Francisco. So the fact that um, he still hit 20 home runs last year it is impressive because he had 28 the year before. Um, but the, like I said, the average went down a little bit, but the on-base was pretty similar. Um, his slugging was better in 2017 in Pittsburgh, which I think is a stadium that, like I said, it's closer to Citizens Bank Park. It's not, it's, it's not as friendly as Citizens Bank Park, but it's closer to it. Um, uh, and I think that once you saw what he did with the Yankees in a small sample – only 114 plate appearances, but 421 OPS or on on base percentage, 892 OPS. Um, you know, hit, he did hit five home runs and 87 at bats there, which is not a terrible ratio. 
Um, yeah, I'd be encouraged walked by as, what he walked, did with the Yankees. Yeah, walked absolutely. as much as he walked as much as he struck out, and and I think a lot of that has to do when you look at when, also when you're switching from San Francisco to the Yankees, the Giants lineup was not very good last year. The Yankees lineup was pretty good. So if you put him into the into a lineup where you have decent players around him, uh, his selectivity is actually going to work out really well. Yeah, um, I know we so, dis I know we disagreed a little bit about Segura's defense when we talked about him last week, but. Sort of for the same reason that I, I like Segura at shortstop. It's just that he's much better than what they had. That's one of the things I'm most concerned about in terms of what he's going to bring to the table in right field. Phillies right fielders last year were negative 26. Here we go again with defensive run save. But uh, just a terrible negative 26 in terms of defensive run saved. He was plus two. So even if he plays league average functional defense in right field it should be a significant upgrade from what they got last season and I do think though it's not the sexy thing it's not the like the flashy upgrade what you should now see between Reese Hoskins playing first base Segura playing shortstop and now McCutcheon presumably playing right field you should have a better defensive team just in those three moves alone than you did a season ago. And you hope, you hope, and I think we'll probably get to this a little later because I know you want to talk about Gabe, you hope that the defensive shifts and the alignments are better as well. Um, you can't really hold your breath on that, but just from a physical standpoint, this should be a, an improved defense from, from last season. Yeah, I mean, I think it will be improved for sure. I'm, I'm still not on board with Segura as a defensive shortstop. I still you – know, we had that discussion last week. I, I still think he's average at best. Um, but I think McCutcheon's better than even his rating was last year. And I think I, – I, I don't know if I said this before we started recording or after we, after we started recording, but I'll reiterate it if, we, if I already said it, um, is that you know playing right field in San Francisco is very difficult. It's very difficult. And um, you, know, you have that, that weird – um, angle that that outfield wall plays, uh, and as it goes out towards right center, I mean it's a it's really tough place to play defense. Um, a lot of guys have struggled, and not to mention just there. the wind off the bay, right? And yeah. the wind coming. It's a it's a hard place to play the outfield, um, and so to have him be a plus two playing most of his season in San Francisco, I think is a little bit more encouraging than the actual number. Like if you put him in a normal ballpark like Citizens Bank Park for 81 games, I think that you'll find that that number will probably be, you know, I mean, nah, I'm not going to tell you he's gold glove, but it will probably certainly be uh, even better than that. So I, I like, I think that he's better than, than most people think defensively based off, if, if you're going off of the numbers from last year, uh, or even, I mean, I, I don't know, if you go back to 2017, he had to play some center field 2017 because Starling Marte was suspended. If you remember in Pittsburgh, he had the uh, drug suspension. Um, mm -hmm. So originally McCutcheon was the right fielder and Marte was the center fielder. Then McCutcheon was suspended. I mean, um, uh, Marte was suspended, so McCutcheon had to go over to center field. Um, and so his defensive rate metrics probably dropped off even there as well because he played a lot more center field than the Pirates really wanted him to. Um, but if you look at where he is as a right fielder over the last couple of years, I think it's a good spot for him. I th he's a former Gold Glove winner, um, so I th he knows how to play the outfield. His range is not bad. Um, I, I, I kind of like him out there. I kind of think McCutcheon is, is certainly an upgrade all, all around um, over what they had out there before. 
Now, the, the next thing that we have is late in the afternoon, uh, there were some reports out there. I think it was uh, J.P. Morosi, uh, if I'm not mistaken. Mm-hmm. He tweeted out that the Phillies have some interest in trading for uh, J.T. Romuto. And this isn't the first time that we've heard this now, but they've sort of, I don't want to use the word emerge, but they have serious interest. They, they are having talks with them, uh, with the Marlins. Is this a deal? I mean, I'm... I think we would both agree that adding him would be fantastic. He's a, a tremendous athlete. Um, he terrific in terms of uh, gunning out base runners. Um, we, we talked before the show about the pop time of guys that have made at least five throws to second base last season. His 1.90 average pop time was the best. Um, 21 homers, I believe, 277 hitter a season ago. I mean, he's one of the better young catchers in the game, especially offensively. I know that you would want to add him theoretically, but would you be interested in doing so at a significant price in terms of in terms of either what you currently have on your major league roster or in terms of prospects? Uh, he does have two years of team control, I believe, left through 2020. So, I mean, this is going to cost you trading within the division, a young and up-and-coming player. He's only 27 years old. Um, what do you think about this? Well, I would love I would love to get a guy like Real Muto on the team. I just don't think it's going to happen. And I know that people are reporting that um, that the Phillies are involved, and you know the Mets are obviously really interested in this as well. And I got to assume that there are many other teams uh, outside of the division <laughs> who would be interested in JP Real Muto, JT Real Muto as well. Um, I, I don't know. I mean, you hear Jeter say that you know there has to be at least one major league level talent that would come back in this trade for Real Muto. And, I, you know, I've been following the New York stuff a lot and the talk, a lot of the talk if the Mets were to make the deal straight with the Marlins. I know there was one crazy thing that included the Yankees in the three-team deal, but if the if the Mets were going to make a straight trade, one for, you know, with, with the Marlins, that it would take uh, Rosario, Ahmed Rosario and Brandon Nimmo. That's, that's a pretty big haul. I mean, Rosario is a top-end prospect. I know he didn't have a great year last year, but he started to turn it on in the last two months of the season with the Mets. Um, has always been considered like their top prospect there, you know, as a shortstop. Uh, it probably would would flourish in anonymity <laughs> in Miami. Um, and then Nimmo is a pretty good outfielder. I mean, he's he's not a star, but he's st- certainly a usable player and a, and a you know, a starter. Um so if you're looking at the at a comparison on the Phillies, I mean, what is that? What's that comparison to that to that equivalence? I mean, and, I would imagine that that not. Nah, see, I don't know what the Marlins have in terms of of the replacement down there, but is Jorge Alfaro in this deal? Um, is is Nick Williams or Odubel Herrera? I would imagine. Actually, I would I would say that Odubel Herrera Odubel, would probably be the guy, right? He would have to be. I think would have to be the primary person in the deal. Yeah. And then you're probably talking about one of your better pitchers at the minor league level now. I'm sure they would ask for Sixto Sanchez. I will go on record and say that um, I don't know what Sixto Sanchez is going to be. I know what he has been projected as, uh, and I know what they say the ceiling is on him. Just given what we have been told and the patience that we've already exuded in, in holding on to him, I would not trade Sixto Sanchez for JT Realmuto. Like That would be my breaking point. But if it's going to be Odubel Herrera, perhaps Alfaro, I would do that if you're talking about maybe you know two through four or five in, in the pitchers in the minor league system, I would maybe consider it. Uh, but I do draw the line at Sanchez. Yeah, I I don't know if I would move Sanchez for Real Muto. I mean, as look, 
Real Muto's got really good numbers. He's a really good catcher, but he is a catcher. Catchers, you know, they don't they they tend to break down a little faster because it's a tough position to play. Um, some of his strengths include the fact that he actually runs really well for a catcher. He's a very good base runner. Um, he actually steals a few bases, believe it or not, for a catcher. And like you said, the pop time and the, and, the th- and you know throwing down, those things tend to tend to deteriorate fastest. And I worry that if you sit there and say we're going to give you our top prospect, our top pitching prospect, who we think is going to be lights out, and trade him for for Real Muto at this point, that you're giving up too much. I I, I wouldn't do that. I mean, to me. The difference between Real Muto and an average catcher is not worth your top prospect. And I think that that's what you have to sort of sort through here. I mean, I think people listening to this may say, well, yeah, of course they're not going to trade their overall top prospect for JT Real Muto. They would never do that. But that doesn't mean that that's not what the Marlins are asking for. You know, like they they very well could say, yeah, Phillies, we'll talk to you about JT Real Muto. Yeah, we talked to the Phillies, actually. We're engaged in discussions uh, throughout the course of the day. Well, that could center around Sanchez. Like it may be unrealistic, but that could very well be what the conversation is or, or was. So. So, I mean, you have to you have to kind of consider this. Are the Marlins going to just trade uh, really, I would say, their most valuable asset at this point within the division uh, for less than elite return? I, I don't think so. And so that is what kind of leads me to believe that Sanchez is, was probably at least talked about in these discussions if they did, in fact, occur. I don't think it's likely that this deal will get done. I know you don't either. Right. Um, no, I don't. But, you know, hypothetically, if I did say that Herrera was the headliner in it, would you do that deal? I mean, because I think that one of the things that the Phillies have made abundantly clear this offseason is that they want to change the overall identity, the overall complexion of this team, the makeup of the team. And I've previously expressed on this show that I think that Dubal Herrera kind of gets a, a bum rap, uh, that I think the fans in the city are a little bit difficult on him. With that said, though, I think there were clear and obvious instances in which he wasn't entirely focused last season, even when the team was playing well. Um, He went through a horrendous slump. Gabe Kapler kind of intimated recently that he wasn't really in shape uh, a year ago. So there are some concerns there, and I I would probably be willing to do that. If Herrera was was the main grab, uh, that's something I would consider for sure. Yeah, especially probably, after they signed Bryce Harper. <laughs> <laughs> I, I I probably am okay with it. Um, there's a couple things that I that make me a little skeptical. I mean, one, you don't really have a center fielder. I mean, yeah, okay, you could say you know Roman Quinn, right? But geez, you know Roman Quinn, um, he's he's very injury prone, as you know. And if you lose Roman Quinn to injury, who becomes your center fielder? Yeah, I think that Roman Quinn That's, has to kind of be the luxury item at this point. You go into the season and and you know you play him and you see how it goes and maybe he emerges and that's great. But I, yeah, it's, it's I would too, have that's the why same I'm concerned for sure. That's why I'm that's why I'm reluctant. Like it, like if you're willing to put together a, a package that I'll tell you I'll tell you who I would put a package around. W- would you Would you this This might be I, this might be blasphemous to Philadelphia. Would you do it for if Kingery's the top guy in the trade? <laughs> sure. Yeah, I, I would. I, I absolutely <laughs> I mean, would. Yeah. I'm just saying. I mean, like then I'm thinking, okay, now you're giving them a player, 
that they could that they view as somebody that they can build around that can play multiple positions. He's he really doesn't have a place to play in this Phillies lineup at this point, right? And if you're not able to move Cesar Hernandez because there's too many second basemen that are out there, um, and so you're gonna you have to stick with Hernandez another season. Um, and now Segura is gonna play predominantly shorts. I mean, you would think if you're pushing for Machado, let's just say, right? If that's still the Phillies push. If, I mean, t- just imagine if you got Machado, um, Segura, and Hernandez, and now you've added uh, McCutcheon, where the hell's Kingery playing, right? So, uh, to me, I mean, uh, you know, is he a utility guy? <laughs> that's that's. I don't know. I like. I don't think that that really works. But if you can turn Scott Kingery into JT Romuto. Now I think that that's something that you might interest the Marlins, and I, while you don't have a second baseman of the of the future anymore, I mean you could do a hell of a lot worse. And uh, your second baseman there, of the right? future could still very well end up being Gene Segura, you know, and and we right. talked about yeah, that last right. week. Yeah, I I just don't know. I I look at this and I expect trades. I've said this for a while now. I think that the Phillies are going to continue to be active uh, on the trade market. It was Ken Rosenthal, and I just wanted to go back and make sure I had this right. It was Ken Rosenthal who did float out there this afternoon that Sixto Sanchez has been involved in numerous trade discussions. And so you just kind of wonder this time of year what sort of conversations are being had. If, if we're talking about getting Sixto Sanchez involved in a deal, I think it's got to be for something greater than JT Realmuto. And we don't really have any other names that we can attach to that possibility at this point. I think some somebody out there, whether it was the Good Fight or one of the other blogs, had, had mentioned, like, what about Chris Bryant? You know, like, and to me, like, that's the type of name that would have to come back in a Sixto Sanchez deal. Like, I don't think that the yeah. Phillies are trading for Chris Bryant, but... It would have to be an elite talent on the, on the way back, I, I would think. And I, I wonder, again, is this something that is legitimately happening or is this another one of these things that's just kind of getting you know floated out there and, and these reporters know there's no way to validate it and there's no way to you know verify, so let's throw it out there and get that buzz going too. Uh, and so it's just another thing to keep an eye on, but it does lead me to believe that the Phillies are uh, absolutely – trying to get a little bit creative pursuing different avenues via trade. And it also makes me sort of feel like on the back end of that, and I know they have the Machado thing scheduled, I'm tending to agree with what you initially stated, that it's becoming less likely that they sign either Harper or Machado. Yeah, I I kind of have had that feeling for a while now. Um, And more so because I I never really thought that they were as serious, well, I shouldn't say that. I did for I did at one point think they were serious about Harper, but I started to kind of it it started to quickly unravel for me that they were serious about him, and I knew that they were always going to be serious about Machado. I just was not sure that this was the place Machado wanted to be, and so that's why I was a little concerned. I've been concerned for a while that that was going to be the case that they didn't end up with either one. Um, we'll see. I mean, I mean, there's still still a lot of time this off season. Um, is, to, is there anything have, that annoys you about this process? Like, I have gotten to the point now here on December 11th where I am becoming fatigued by the the rumors and the sources and the, you know, hearing rumblings well, of. like I, And I know that this is not necessarily unique to 2018. I mean, this is kind of how it goes every year. We're still only in the second week of December. I know it feels like this all season has been going for five months now, but we're, we're still right in the middle of, 
the typical time in which these types of deals get done. But I, I, I just feel like I'm, I'm getting free agent fatigue already. Yeah, I get it. Um, and I think that you're going to be really fatigued with Harper because he's a Boris client, right? I mean, and Boris likes to drag everything out. I think Machado will wrap up by Christmas. I really do. I think that we'll, I think we'll know where Manny Machado is before Christmas Day. Um, I'm not convinced that we will know where Bryce Harper will be by then. And that's the, to me, that's the difference between the two. And so I think that there will be more fatigue over the Harper thing than there is over the Machado thing. And so if the Phillies don't get Machado, I think it's going to be even, it's going to be even more desperation in this city amongst the fan base to go get Harper. And I don't think that they're really in on him. So that's, that's where, and I think that's where the, that's where the real disconnect with the fan base is going to happen. And here's the most recent tweet. As we're talking, I have these things just kind of rolling in. Um, John Heyman says, and I thought he was pretty well connected on the Arietta deal last year. Uh, I will give him credit for that. I know that John Heyman's kind of taken a lot of shit uh, recently. But he says uh, Brantley is out as a Phillies option since the McCutcheon deal, but the door is still open for Harper and, of course, Machado. So that's the latest from him. Uh, Bob Nightingale also floated the idea out that the Phillies are still in on Harper as well. I mean, there's still a lot of, as we talked about, national guys uh, championing uh, this 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 idea that he's coming here, but or he could still possibly be coming here, but I, I really don't know at this point. The only other guy I really wanted to talk about, and I don't know if you have anything else you want to hit on before we get out of here, um, oh, we got to talk about Gabe. Oh, yeah, we got to talk about Gabe. We'll get to him in one minute. One other yeah. little rumbling out there that the Phillies kind of had a connection to was uh, Dallas Keuchel. Yeah. I, I don't know how you feel about Dallas Keuchel. I still believe that the Phillies need to go out and solidify something atop this rotation, and I'm not opposed to that being Jay Happ. That's okay. Uh, I know that the idea is that he will sign with the team that offers him three years. I don't necessarily feel strongly one way or the other about going to three years with him. I think he'll be fine in three years, and I do think that he's the type of guy that winning teams have in a rotation. I think that there's a spot for him here, Uh, but he's still not the top-end guy. I would rather see the Phillies run it back with Nick Pavetta, Vince Velasquez, Zach Eflin, Jared Eikhoff, you know, and Aaron Nola and whoever the other guy is that I'm forgetting at this point. Arietta. I'd rather see them. Yeah, and Arietta. Yeah. Damn, how could I forget Jake Arietta? <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, I'd rather see him run it back with that group, improve the bullpen, go out and continue to solidify this offense and, and make the defense better and then just see what you have for three months and then attack on the market for a starting pitcher than go out and sign Dallas Keuchel to a three- or four- or five-year deal. I, I think that he is on the downside. Uh, I think that some of the concerns that we saw with Jake Arietta, you are going to see again. Um, and you have concerns about, uh, you know, you have concerns about Gene Segura playing shortstop. Well, how about a, a left side of the infield that consists of Gene Segura and and currently Michael Franco, right? Like that's the left side of your infield as things stand now, or some variation. Maybe Scott Kingery hops in and plays a little bit, whatever. Like Dallas Keuchel with declining velocity, who has a lot of bulls pulled against him to begin with like that to me is a disastrous mix uh so i i could not be less interested in him yeah i'm not interested in keichel at all keichel who is another scott boris client by the way um which tells me a lot about i think why his name is coming up again with the well, you know who <laughs> and I, and i know that we've had a we've we've taken a shot or two uh, over the the months of this show at uh, joe Gilio, but he did tweet out today and i I kind of agree with him. I thought this was a very interesting point. You're going to hear a lot 
uh, of Phillies, the Phillies being connected to Boris clients, and to the point where maybe in order to secure Bryce Harper, it's going to require deals with other Boris clients to get it done. That's if, if requ- you fall under the belief that Boris really is dictating this entire process, and he's the one that's going to make the decision. Yeah, I, I don't think that I don't think you you necessarily have to sign other Boris clients. But I certainly think Boris will sit there and say, oh, yeah, they're interested in this guy and they're interested in this guy, too, because they're his clients. So I think that that's why you're seeing the Phillies attached to them. You know, I mean, it's no secret the Phillies want left-handed pitching, right? So Keuchel's a left-handed starter. They need one. The Phillies were interested in left-handed relievers. Well, I think Zach Britton is is a uh, – uh, Boris Klein as well. Um, I would have interest in Zach Britton. Yeah, I would have interest in Britton. Yeah, I would. I would have interest in Britton for the bullpen. Um, he got a lot he, healthier as the season went on last year, and he yeah, was very effective over the second look, half. Yeah, looked better. Um, but Keuchel, you know, yeah, he won Cy Young in 2015. Um, had a great year that year. He really was an excellent pitcher in 2015. Uh, and so was step, Jake Arrieta. Yeah, took a, <laughs> he took a step back in 2016. 2017 is it's the interesting year, and I think it's the one that a lot of people say, "Oh well, look, he, he bounced back from injury, and he went 14 and five, 290 ERA, 1.11 WHIP. It was was it was a good season, but it really wasn't. I mean, I, his and here's and I, I'm not a big fan of this statistic, but his fielding independent pitching was 3.79 with a 2.90 ERA. So it tells you that you know. Um, he wasn't as as good as you thought. And then last year, 205 innings, which is great. You know, he threw a lot of innings, th- started 34 games, was best in baseball, most in baseball. His strikeout rate in a year when everybody's strikeout rates were going up went down. It went down a whole strikeout per nine. And he le- led the league in hits allowed. He gave up 211 hits in 204 and two-thirds innings. His whip went to one three one. Um, it's not very good. It's just not. It's it's okay. it's okay. It's middle of the rotation kind of thing. So if you're looking at Dallas Keuchel to be a th- three four starter, eh, whatever. That's fine. I'd rather go with a shorter term contract with Jay Happ, even though he's thirty six years old. And I I wouldn't be opposed to giving him three years. To be honest with you, Bob, I, I would give him the third year. I I'm okay with it. I'm okay. you have the money to spend. If it turns out that that third year ends up not being a good thing and you need to, you know, let release him and, and just pay that salary like the Blue Jays are with Troy Tulowitzki, right? I mean, they're paying off all that money now for, for the next three seasons. they got to pay him for two years plus a buyout, something like $21 million, and they just they cut him. If you have to do that for one year with Jay Happ and it ends up being, you know, whatever it is, so be it. So be it. It's one year. It's, it's not the end of the world, you know? It's... It, it, I don't know. I would. I, I, I would. I would much, the, much rather go after Happy and I, I agree. I understand where you're coming from. I just, as you're talking, I, I keep thinking about Odubel Herrera, and I go, this guy with his contract and some of the numbers that he's put up, like he can't return you a pretty good starting pitcher. Like I can't get past that. I thought that they would consider doing this ahead of last season, and I still find myself right back in the same spot where I'm like, there's got to be a trade out there. There might be, you know, but is it for a lefty? I mean, what lefties are yeah, available? Yeah. I mean, we could talk about Bumgarner, right? I mean, I believe uh, in. I, I I think I believe. <laughs> I want to believe in Madison Bumgarner. How's that? Um, yeah. You know, he's a guy, not a big strikeout guy, but he's had two fluky in, uh, injuries 
the last two seasons. Um, he had a, a dirt bike accident, and then he yep. was hit by a comebacker at the beginning of uh, the 2018 season. And I think that that kind of derailed some of his, you know, I think that, that hurt him, obviously, yeah. uh, when he came back. I don't think he was quite the same guy, but, I mean, he still was a pretty effective pitcher uh, last season once he did come back. So uh, he is a guy that I would look at. I guess really it would come down to, for me, how motivated are the Giants to move him? You know, like if they're willing to just kind of part ways and, and take a, a moderate return, then fine. But if they want the type of package that is worthy of a franchise icon – which he is, then that's not something that I want the Phillies to get involved with. Right. You know, right. there are certain guys. Like, I'm not the the guy that overvalues prospects. Like, I don't – if there's a move where you can go out and say, this is going to make our team substantially better, then I'm all in. And, like, let's do it. Let's go get that guy. But I don't think that Madison Bumgarner really moves the needle – five games for this team you know like is Madison Bumgarner going to give the Phillies an extra four or five wins next season as opposed to I don't know Vince Velasquez or Nick Pavetta probably not and and you know that's not to say that I'm, I'm a huge fan of those guys I just don't think that the upgrade is that significant where I would deal a substantial package for him Right, I I agree with you. I agree with you. Um, just to correct something I said, I said it was twenty one million for Tulowitzki. It's thirty eight million Oof. that Toronto's eating. Oof. Okay, thirty eight million they're eating. And as, uh, eat- as I'm sitting here, Russ just chimed in on Slack. He just sent me a like like he pinged me and said I'm totally in on this. Uh-huh. And I open up the phone and then I see that he's referring to the Tulowitzki release. Well, I mean, you know, I mean, the thing of it is, is you can sign a guy who was a former All Star for the for the minimum at this point sure. for two years. I mean, really. I mean, you could for the next two years, you only have to pay him the minimum because the Blue Jays are paying him thirty-eight million dollars. So, I mean, it's I guess it's worthy of a uh, you know not to say it would, it would fit for the Phillies at this point because you have a shortstop. I mean, he's going to want to go somewhere where he has a chance to start, and this isn't a place that that it would fit. So, I don't think it works here. But I, I could see a team who needs a shortstop saying, "Yeah, I'll, we'll sign Troy Tulowitzki." Like, if, like if you're the Orioles right now who have no shortstop. Why don't you sign Troy Tulowitzki for the minimum, guarantee him that he's going to start, and then say, hey, listen, you know, come trade deadline. If you're playing well, we'll get you out of here. We'll send you somewhere that needs you. Right. You have a chance to win. I mean, like, to me, that's what that's the kind of team that makes a lot of sense for Troy Tulowitzki at this point. Yeah, sure. Yeah, um, absolutely. One other little note, and this was Buster only just tweeted this out as we're talking. 49 different players had at least 150 plate appearances in the leadoff spot in 2018. Mookie Betts was – uh, number one, uh, his w- in on base percentage uh, at four thirty nine. Number two, Andrew, Andrew McCutcheon, four fourteen. Yeah. So maybe maybe Andrew McCutcheon is your new leadoff hitter next year. They certainly could use one. Uh, you know, uh, well, one thing that we didn't really talk about was the uh, news that Cesar Hernandez played much of the final three months with a broken foot. Yeah. Now apparently it wasn't. Significant enough to to sideline him. Obviously, he only missed one game. But do you do you look at that and say, okay, like we know that he was pretty pretty terrible, uh, really in the second half last year. Do you kind of are you willing to write him a pass on that now? No. Um, yeah, neither, neither am I actually. Yeah, no, because may, you know the one thing I'll sit there and say, you know, maybe it it had an impact on, you know the productivity in the sense that he's not hitting doubles and triples, but he was still able to get up at the plate and swing the bat. 
and he was swinging at a lot of bad pitches. He struck out a lot. He he stopped walking. I mean, none of your, your foot has nothing to do with that. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. It, it, I can see that it hurts when you run, kind of thing, and maybe that's why you, you know you don't take that extra base that you might have taken uh, otherwise. So I can see where it has that little bit of an impact. But I mean, if he was well enough to play, he was well enough to make contact and well enough to still take pitches and still. Yeah, walk and I mean, and the numbers are the numbers are you know certainly convincing in this way. I mean, first half he hits two seventy, the second half he hits two twenty eight. The power was completely absent in the second half. Um, you know, the OPS goes well. Actually, let's see. Yeah, here you go. The OPS fell by almost a hundred points. He was uh, seven sixty in the first half, six fifty seven in the second half. On base percentage sunk by over fifty points. Points. You know, I don't know. I'm sure it definitely had an impact on his game, but I also look at this and say I'm sure that while it did have an impact, I don't know that I'm here for his upside. You know, I don't know that yeah. I, I really need to see him again play 160 games for the Phillies. Like, he's not a difference maker. And I have reached the point of this rebuild where I want to see difference makers. So if Bryce Harper's running around in the outfield next season – can we play Cesar Hernandez at second base? Sure, but if one of those big bats isn't coming, like I just I don't I don't want to see that again. Yeah, no, it makes sense. Absolutely makes sense. Um, I did want to touch on Gabe yesterday. Sure. His press avail his press availability because it bothered me a little bit. And it, there were two things in particular that bothered me. Um, the first was when he was talking about Segura. And he identified Segura as a guy who should hit second in the lineup. And it, it made me flash back to last season when he repeatedly told us that you need to bat your best hitter in the number two spot in the lineup, which is why Reese Hoskins hit second all season long. And like there were all these, you know, all the, these uh, numbers that could support this, and that's what we need to do. That's yeah, this is where the best hitter goes, and that's why you know you want him to get that many extra at bats and blah 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 blah, and he'll be in better situations to drive in runs in that spot. Okay, fine. That's what you tell us for an entire year. You tell us this. Now you're going to tell me that a singles hitter is a better hitter for the number two spot? A guy that doesn't strike out puts the a ball in play? Yeah, I mean. Yeah, I know. Well, the I, thing is, though, he's right. The thing is, though, what he said was right. <laughs> Gene Segura probably should be hitting second on this team. So You're right. I really I, have no I don't problem with that. that. I don't have a problem with it, but I want to know what, where that shift Because happened. I think it falls in line with a lot of – and he talked about this. Uh, it, this did come up. You know, how are you going to uh, talk about the shortcomings of your team in the press this year? And I think that maybe – Gabe Kapler, we saw how he handled issues. He was never critical. He was overly positive to the point where it was offensive to those who listened to it. And I think maybe he just looked at this and said, this team is flawed. This lineup is not – it does not have traditional construction. I don't want to hurt anybody's feelings. I don't want to be overly critical of what I have here. But yeah, like we all obviously know that we're a hitter in the middle of the lineup short. And so I'm going to put Reese Hoskins, who has a little pop and uh, can get on base a little bit. I'm going to hit him second because this is the best thing that I have in this situation. I mean, can't we just write it off and say that he just didn't want to be a dick? No. No. Because I think that the Phillies as a whole are very inconsistent with their message. It's not just Gabe. I think that the organization is inconsistent with its message. The other thing that they, the other thing that he talked about last night. Tell your mom to answer her phone. Um, <laughs> um, the other thing, the other thing that's inconsistent. He's, he's in his mom's basement. 
right now, yeah, right. blogging yeah, and podcasting. Yeah, you, know, you can admit it. You got to, you had to leave home because the dogs were going crazy. Listen, I'm I'm ten years into a thirty year mortgage. I'm an adult uh, at thirty two years old, Anthony. But uh, I do have three dogs at home, and it's very hard to do a professional podcast. So I drove uh, the ten minutes to mommy and daddy's, and I'm actually recording here to be yeah. quiet. Yeah. So yeah. 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 So good. Keeping right. it real for the listeners. That's good. That's all good. And the other thing that, that Gabe said yesterday was when they were talking – you might have the exact quote. I don't have it in front of me. Um, but when he was asked about the Phillies shifting and how he said that they have to really look at what they did last year and they have to think about it and, and fix it and, and be better at it. And it's like – Yeah, he that- said like they think about it all the time I think was like the one thing he said. It was like we know we need to do a better job. It's something that we've looked at and we think about it constantly. Yeah, okay, so why did you try for an entire season to sit there and tell us every time you and I pointed out uh, on this podcast last season at how bad the defense was from shifting, and then anyone would ask him a question about it, and he says, well, that's what, you know, that's the way you know, what our numbers tell us. We'll be better off that way. And there were all these people that were defending it and saying, you, just, you guys just don't want to go with the new philosophy, blah, blah, blah. Now all of a sudden you look at it in retrospect and say, yeah, all right, we're wrong. <laughs> like I, I hate that. I hate that. Change it in the moment. Don't sit there and say, "Well, we'll wait till the end of the season and then consider and then think about it." Like if you if you recognize that something is wrong, fix it in the moment. Don't look. Wait one of the things it. that the Phillies have to improve on, you know, we could talk about upgrading the defense, making it a better product on the field, and that's going to be the the biggest thing. How many games did the Phillies win in 2019? And that's going to be the bottom line. And we all understand right. that. But one thing that this team has to improve upon this season is being better at communication with the fans, with the media. Gabe Kapler has to has to be a little bit more real now. I do agree with you to an extent about their lack of consistency in what they convey and what they seemingly believe in. I think that maybe they are playing things a little bit closer to the vest than you do. Uh, I think that they have looked at it in the past and just said it doesn't benefit us to really be as forthcoming or honest as, as some people want us to be. And I, why? I hear you. I, why? I guess more so just because... Why admit that you have flaws? Like, why be critical of what you're doing? Like, I know you want them to come out and say, like, our shifts last year were freaking atrocious. And they no, were. I, but, I, I mean, I like, they admitted it because they said, like, yeah, we know that we weren't no. doing things properly. We're trying to fix it here. Like, I'll defend no. them a little bit on this one. That's not what I want at all. That's where that's where you're missing the point here, Bob. That's not what I want. I, I don't need them to come out and tell me it was bad. I saw it myself. I, can, I know what's bad and what's not bad. I don't need them to tell me that. What I need them to do is rather than wait until the offseason to say, yeah, it was bad all year long, I need them to look at it at a certain point after you've tried it for for, I don't know, 40 games, 50 games, and say, well, this isn't going well. We need to fix this. And fix it. Well, don't we'll, wait we'll see the what the they season. do. I mean, you know, we look at this and go, like, well, that, that wasn't very good. And, and it was weird because they were winning games in the beginning of the season as all this stuff was happening. I think that we were at the height of our annoyance when they were actually winning games. I mean, you go back and listen place. to us. Yeah, we're yes. talking about we're like, we know they're in first place, but then we proceeded to piss negativity on them for the next 50 minutes of our show i mean that's what we did that was the format of our show we would say like it was like the the sandwich like say something nice and then bury them and then finish with a but we'll see and say something nice right like that's kind of what we did 
I do have to say, like, stepping back from it now, that team sucked. That team had no business even playing 500 baseball. That was a flawed team in every way possible. The bullpen was horrendous. The offense was unbelievably thin. It was extremely streaky. And they had five starting pitchers, four of which, well, three of which were young kids that overperformed expectations, and then, you know, Aaron Nola, and then whatever the hell Jake Arrieta was. I mean, like, if I told you in summation what that team was last year, they had no business even being relevant to the All-Star break, right? You're right. So I just look at this and say you have a first-year manager who had, I think was overmatched at times. I think that that was very clear. I think that this was the first year of this new I don't know, direction that the team was going in, the implementation of a new direction. And I'm willing to kind of forgive them to an extent. Now, if you come out and you don't learn from your mistakes, both in terms of what you put out there to the public, through the fans, through the media, if you don't learn from your mistakes and what you made in terms of decisions of the dugout, if you can't do it, then I'm going to clobber you. I mean, you're gonna, I'm going to destroy this team this year. But I am willing to forgive some of it right now. Like, but you've got to adapt. You've got to do a better job with it now moving forward. Yeah, I, I don't know. I, I'm of the mindset that you can have all the intentions in the world in any sport. You can have all the intentions of the world of what you want your team to be in, you know, and, and how you want them to play in the season. And then all of a sudden you get into the season and you realize that what you were trying to implement isn't working. When rather than continue to force feed that philosophy or force feed that strategy and structure, you, you got to adapt to what you have to try and win with what you have. And I'm not convinced that the Phillies ever did that last year. And I, you know, I, that, that's just my perception. And I just, I would just counter by saying, and though I do understand your point, like where were those wins at that they cost? Like where were those wins coming from? If the Phillies would have done. X, then it would have yielded wins. Like, what was the move that they we didn't? Don't, you don't. You don't know. I, I don't, you don't know. Yeah, right. I mean, it's it's right. It's not. It's not. I mean, we could sit here and break down, you know, games that they lost that they should have won. I mean, but that's that's silly. We we did that all year long. I mean, to to have it na- to talk about it now is revisionist history. But the fact of the matter is, is that I think that you know, as we went along, we said, okay, well, all right. There's one that they could have had. All right, well, so they didn't sure. get that one. There's going to be games like that that happen, and you blow it, and whatever, it happens in the season. But when it starts happening repeatedly, there's obviously got to be something that's that's wrong, something that you can try to fix. And I'm not convinced that they ever tried to fix certain things. I think that they try to fix some things. I think that they tried their mightiest with the bullpen, uh, to be honest with you. I mean, I <laughs> as bad as it was last year, they kept moving guys in and out, trying guys in different roles, trying this, trying that. None of it seemed to work, and and that okay, fine. Um, but at the same time, I think there were other things that they were dead set against changing that they could have fixed, like like well, the lineup, you know, it's like so the way funny. they played defense, and they never did. We're a couple months away from this, and it's going to be a realization for everybody. We have such Manny Machado, Bryce Harper tunnel tunnel vision right now. This season is so so much about Gabe Kapler. And right now we're not talking about him. We got through an entire episode last week, right? Breaking down free agency, we talking about trades. We didn't even mention his name. But once this thing is established, whatever the composition of this roster is going to be, once we know what it is and we can relate it to what we saw with Gabe Kapler a season ago and try to project what we're going to get out of him in year two, considering the perception of Gabe Kapler, I think that most people think the guy's all right like he's a little bit weird he's a little bit goofy but like he's likable enough I suppose but I think that people were so upset with him and his decision making and the way that he went about it and his refusal to criticize 
that there was a lot of animosity by the end of the season, especially how they played in September. I mean, there was there was a groundswell there to not bring him back. I mean, I think we've all kind of forgot how bad that September was, and there was some blame to go around, and a lot of it fell on his lap, you know, from the from the public. It doesn't seem like internally it did, but with that said. Once we kind of clear free agency, we're we're going to talk about Gabe Kapler constantly. He's going to be the story. If he if they go out and they they add these big pieces, it's going to be can he manage them? Can he navigate this now with some pressure, with some spotlight, with some expectations? It, I I am very very interested to see how this goes. I would go as far to say this is a take. Um, he either doesn't survive or he doesn't make it to year three or he makes it to year five like I think that this year he either like shows that he is setting himself up to be here for a while or he he's this is it I think that's a fair assessment I don't think that's a I don't think that's a hot take at all I think that that's that's pretty fair and I think that you know I think that Clintac is right there along with him in a lot of ways because if you're making the moves that looks like the Phillies are trying to make even if you don't get the big big names, and but you still get, you know, improvements all around the team, and then you still end up being, you know, just around 500 or slightly better than 500. You don't really improve much from last season to this season. I, I think that it falls. I think that that's going to, you know, fall on the shoulders of not just the manager but the general manager as well. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Uh, well, we made it to an hour. I said, yeah, we'll have a 30 minute show tonight. <laughs> yeah, no, we did it. We did just a can't. Hour. We just can't do it, man. Um, anything else you want to add before we get out of here? Uh, one last thing. Sure. Which we we haven't done in a while. I know. Um, but uh, we I, I sent you the story last week uh, when we were uh, just chatting offline, um, and it's going to be curious to see what comes out of the general managers meetings this week. Um, I know we're in uh, into day three or well day two and a half of it. Um, but Jason Stark, who, by the way, uh, won the Spink Award and uh, got put into the uh, – is going to be going into the Baseball Hall of Fame, deservedly so, um, wrote a column for The Athletic uh, that said, what would happen if baseball killed the ship? The shift, support for the ideas building inside the game. Um, and th- that uh, there is a lot of conversation happening uh, currently at the GM's meetings right now about removing the shift entirely from baseball. And I'm just curious your thoughts on that. I would be in support of a modification to the shift, I think. Yeah. Um, yeah. I don't know that I need to kill it entirely, but one of the things I had said to you was that I would be interested in seeing, uh, at the very least, players kind of have to be in zones where you say, like, you get two guys on the left side of the infield, you get two guys on the uh, right side of the infield. Like, I would be – I would not be opposed to that. I, I think that the game – is hurting right now, and I think that it would be foolish to proceed as if there's nothing wrong. Um, and I do think that this is one way that you could perhaps fix the game. We, we've got to get it back to a point where the ball is being put in play more, there are more hits, there are more guys running around the bases. And I think that that has to be the end game for Major League Baseball, and I think that this is one way to do it. Yep. Yeah. Um I don't necessarily. I, I'm. I look at it more from a strategy perspective. I and you know me. I'm not a big fan of the shift at all. <laughs> right. I don't. I don't like it. And my philosophy is: well, if you're going to shift me, I'm going to try and figure out a way to beat the shift uh, going the other way. Apparently, you know, these hitters don't want to do that. They want to hit over it. They want to hit home runs instead of you know 
hitting a single the opposite field, which drives me crazy. I'd rather you get the hit. Um, that said, I don't want to see it completely go away. To me, it's a strategy, right? It's something that you try and do in the game to give yourself an advantage, even if it doesn't work, like for the Phillies. Um, but it's some, certainly something that should be an option. Now, what I would do in the modified version, rather than kill it entirely, is say that you're limited to the number of times you're allowed to put a third infielder on the other side of the field, whether it's for a left-handed hitter or a right-handed hitter. Maybe it's three per game. You're allowed to do it three times in a game total. So you could pick, now it's up to the manager. It's a strategic thing. Do you do it for one batter who you know will definitely, you know, more often than not, pull into that shift? three times that he bats or do you try and save it for later in the game when it could be an important at bat or you know when do you use it and you have three of them that you could use I would not be opposed to that that way it's still a part of the game and still could be used as a managerial strategy to help your team win but at the same time there were 8,000 more shifts in uh, on balls in play in 2018 than in 2017 that's just on balls in play right Okay, and from one year to the next, that doesn't mean all the things. That's not even counting that all the times that there was a shift on when a guy struck out or walked. Okay, eight thousand more from one year to the next. Twenty-eight thousand more from five years ago. That's it's, it's amazing. It's, a, it's it's unbelievable, right? I mean, that's a, that's an incredible number. So what to me, I think the solution then is to say you could still do it, but just not as often as you're doing. And it. I and do so that, think, though, I would like to. I, I like my suggestion just selfishly, right? But I do yeah. think that your suggestion is the more likely outcome. When you look at the resources, and I think that this is one of the reasons that it may not happen at all, but when you look at the resources and the uh, intel and the time and money that teams have invested in researching the shift, in how to implement it, how to best align their defenses to prevent runs from being scored, and now Major League Baseball comes in and says, all of those resources and all of that time and money you've spent in researching and developing this this strategy, we're going to kill entirely now. And I think that that is the hurdle that they would have to clear. If the baseball if baseball was starting from scratch and had to rewrite its rules, I would say that they would probably not permit the shift. But because we're here already, I just wonder if we reached a point of no return in going back on it now. Because I think you would piss a lot of people off in those IT and re- and R and D departments, right? Like, yeah. if you're in research and development, you'd be ripping your hair out if you say the thing that you have intensely focused on for years now, uh, we're not doing it anymore. So I right. just think it's something to take into consideration. So I do think that your suggestion is the more likely of the two uh, to be implemented if if it happens at all. Yeah, uh, and, and that wouldn't bother me so much. I would be okay with it. Yeah. I really would. I really would. So anyway, that was our one last thing, which we haven't done in a while. Yeah, we uh, we haven't done a one last thing in a while, but we thought, you know, thought bring it back for just a just a quick second, hot second there. But uh, anyway, well, Bob, I'm sure we'll do another one of these as soon as the uh, Phillies make another move. I mean, they could make another move tonight. Tonight, tomorrow. yeah, we could be hopping back um, on for a second one tonight. No, we could, <laughs> yeah, we could, do, we could do another another episode to talk about whatever moves that they make. Um, but uh, I'm going to be as soon as I. Uh, cut off this uh, show with you i'm going to be recording snow the goalie with uh, russ joy uh the latest on the flyers who are a total mess you want you think it was hard cover you know talking about a team like the phillies who were winning for most of the season and even though we knew that they weren't as good as they were geez imagine talking about every week talking about a team that's the fifth worst team in hockey and is probably not going anywhere it's it's sad it's depressing i do not envy Um, you 
<laughs> yeah, so we got that. Be recording that, and that would, that we'll have an episode of Snow the Goalie coming out as well. Um, crossing broadcast is kind of an interesting thing. What's going on there? I mean, sometimes it's recording, sometimes it's not. Sometimes you're going to hear this show on there. Sometimes you're going to hear Snow the Goalie on there. Sometimes it's you know it's it's all over the it place. It can't go wrong. That, it's a it's a potpourri it, of good podcasts. <laughs> That's right. It is a potpourri, uh, but it is still the flagship podcast of the Crossing Broad Podcasting Network. And then there's also our two soccer-oriented uh, podcasts, which had a crossover a couple weeks ago. It was kind of interesting. So you have It's Always Soccer in Philadelphia with Kevin Kincaid uh, as the uh, primary host there uh, with uh, Dave Zeitlin. Um, and then uh, Crossing Broad FC with Russ and Phil Kaidel. So, uh, and Bob, you missed the, the big Crossing Broad Christmas party. Crossing Broad Christmas dinner. I'm very upset uh, about that. I was at a wedding, though. With, good friend, you know. Yeah, it was a good time. We went. We went out to uh, Capitol Grill and King of Prussia. Uh, had a really good time together. Uh, everybody was there except for you and for uh, Coggin. Coggin was yeah. the only other. Uh, maybe person I can get there. Kyle to uh, send me a, a gift, a gift card or a gift certificate in the mail or something. You know, redeem my free How about steak. A set of, uh, a set of steak knives. Yeah, so. steak knives. That's fine, too. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, no, it was good. We had a good time. It was good to see Phil. It was the first time I actually got to meet him in person. We've talked a lot, obviously, uh, online, but it was the yeah, first did time. Did that meet your expectations? Person, so. Did that live up to yeah. what he you was thought actually, it would be? He was actually – Phil was actually a lot more subdued than I thought he was going to be. I thought he was going to be all fired up and everything. Uh, but he was really subdued. It was cool. I was uh, spent most of the time talking to Tim Riley and Kevin Kincaid and Kyle. That, that was See, I don't like group. talking to Tim Riley because uh, he's so much smarter than I am. You know, like when you talk <laughs> to Tim, it's at Saint Joe's Yeah, you talk to Tim Riley and you go, Jesus, I got to reevaluate things here. You know, so <laughs> you know, us, us prep guys, you yeah. know, we're a little we're a little sharper than yeah. most. So I hear you. Anyway. <laughs> anyway, uh, so yeah, we'll be back. Uh, we'll be back on the, the Crossed Up Phillies podcast uh, as soon as there is um, breaking news for the Phils. Uh, but uh, until that time, uh, he's Bob. I'm Anthony. I want to say thanks for listening in.